Um, I just, I want to start first by expressing just my personal gratitude. I mean, after we finished the halakha here, it was deadly silent. I think, at least speaking for myself, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to cry or like roll into like a fetal position or go like commit myself to a cave for the next 40 days. Um, you know, just like the visceral feeling of just the weight of what we just learned. Um, and I know for, for myself as a non-Arabic speaker, as someone who not in a million years would ever have access to any of this kind of knowledge, I, would not, I don't even have it in my personality at this point to sit in thicker for six or eight hours, you know, saying something and asking God to open up the meaning, you know, much less dedicate my life to a study. So everything that I feel like we learned here um, is, it, there's no, it's just monumental. There's just no way, I mean, the excitement, the, the passion, you know, I just feel like we are so lucky and I'm so personally grateful to have even access to this knowledge because everything that was coming across in the halakha to me is directly related to the things that we deal with and think about in our life today with whether it's racism and justice, the difference between wealth and you know oppression, I mean everything that we are confronting as people here in our world and so when you see that I, I, to me, just can't be anything but grateful. So I, I hope that I can just, you know, express a little bit of what I'm sure other people are feeling. Um, so, um, you know, and to have a taste of what early Muslims must have received, and to know that we're actually feeling a little bit of that again, and the idea of, you know, um, the original sin being racism. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I knew that was original here, and I have seen it at, unattributed. And I think that to me says people are watching and paying attention, but they're not giving credit where credit is due. But alhamdulillah, all credit is due with Allah. So um, anyway, OK, so just to open up Q&A, let's start with um, students here. Anyone has any questions? I've got, I've got so much going on in my head. <laughs> um, I'm give it a shot. I can try and articulate. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're all in a bit of like needing to peel ourselves up off the floor and helping our brain. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else want to start? Okay. Okay. Go for it, Jim. Thank you so much, Sheikh. We just want to echo um, Grace's comments. Uh, I guess first is kind of like a reflection and then a comment. Um, I think the idea of Aizza is, is so crucial for modern Muslims to understand, no less than any kind of doctrinal concept. Um, when you talk about history and learning from history, God is the author of history. No, what is it that Muslims take then? What is the deeper, beyond the obvious, what is the deeper moral lesson that we take from the last 200 years? Um, my sense is that the Surah tells us, you know, a people with Izzat can be defeated militarily, sure, maybe. They can even be invaded or occupied, sure. But they cannot be colonised. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have Izzat rooted in the divine, you simply cannot be colonised. No. Um, 
that really, really um, struck out to me. Um, there's another question, and again, it's hard to articulate, but uh, it's about prophecy and the nature of prophets. You know, so often Muslims, and I think Islamic thought generally, you know, prophets are perfect, they're infallible. That's why they're prophets. But my sense is that this sort of actually gives us kind of like a different perspective, perhaps, you know. Uh, the prophets are the best of human beings, but they're human beings. Human beings slip, they err, they make mistakes. Um, sin is perhaps theologically loaded, but, you know, Da'ud, Suleiman and Ayub, they're all described as Awab. Mm -hmm. um, but Awab includes the very idea of slipping and erring. Mm -hmm. So the idea of prophecy that I'm getting from Saud is, you know, what makes you a prophet? It's not that you're perfect, you're not holier than thou, you're not spotless, but you're a word. But this is, I kind of feel like this image of prophecy is not one that Muslims are familiar with, or not really perhaps even comfortable with. Um, am I getting, I, I, yeah, any comments on that, as I say, I can't really articulate it, but um, it really spoke to me very, very much. Well, the but the the first the first point that Joe made, I think it's really important that understanding of Aza is 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 one of these critical elements for Muslims collectively and Muslims individually, and the point that Joe made that people with Aza anchored in the divine cannot be colonized. They can be occupied, they can be controlled, but they cannot be colonized. And I think that's the that's where I I think the the real defeat uh, occurs is that unfortunately and I see this even in the so called post colonial era more than the colonial era. Uh, Muslims during the colonial era had far greater Izzah than they have in the post-colonial era. And, um, I mean, you see the, the what, what Muslims are doing with, uh, right now with Israel, and the, the way that they're betraying every Muslim cause, from the genocide against the Chinese Muslims to Kashmir to Muslims in Burma, the Rohingyas to the Palestinians to Jerusalem, they uh, their their sense of Isa has been eradicated, been destroyed, in, in and that's what is, and I firmly believe it's because they lost their connection with the Quran. Um, they they have turned the Qur'an into, um, you know, the, the way that Christi Catholics deal with uh, um, secret objects, uh, talisman for protection and, and barakah and things like that, but um, when, when you see that even just teaching the Qur'an in Muslim countries, uh, puts you at risk of being arrested and imprisoned in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, in, in the Emirat. Uh, in Yemen, a lot of Quran teachers were killed. Probably, Yemen, the, 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 well, it's the pro-Emirati faction that killed a lot of the Quran te teachers. 
um, serious attempts at, at studying the Quran in, as a living document, as living revelation, has all come to an end in, in, in the Muslim world. Um, and even studying the Quran in, in the West to the very limited extent it's happening, um, it's done along very traditional, taqlidi grounds. It's like reading Ibn Kathir, but regurgitating Ibn Kathir over and over and over. Um, or reading Bin Baz or, or, or Athamiyyin on their commentaries on the Quran. Um, we, we urgently need a rebirth, a resurgence. And, I mean, when people talk about the Sahwa, all the, the pioneers of the Sahwa that existed in the 90s are now in prison. Um, and uh, Islam in the West, um, we, we, it, it's, um, I mean, the irony is that a lot of what saps the energy of Muslims in the West is vain glory. It's, it's, it's uh, the affectations of piety and, you know, people basically wanting to posturing themselves as authorities regardless of the actual effort that has been expended in studying anything. Um, everyone wants to be an authority. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that point... It, that point is so critical. People with Izza cannot be colonized. Um, and Muslims resisted colonialism um, for a very long time um, because of the Izza that the Quran gave them. Um, but when, when, for so many Muslims, the, the, their, their, the, the people who persecute them are officially fellow Muslims, that has become a true, uh, you know, it, it, when, when the people that target you are fellow Muslims, then things get very confusing. And um, you become very, and when, you know, when um, I was just reading an, a report from Human Rights Watch, um, one of the um, one of the very one of the activists on behalf of the Uyghur Muslims in China uh, escaped China and went to Turkey and then he made, he made the mistake of going to Saudi Arabia for Hajj and then the Saudis uh, acting on the request of the Chinese government arrested him and now they're getting ready to deport him to China where it's likely he's going to be liquidated. And of course, you know, it's human rights organizations that are trying to prevent the deportation. I don't think we're going to be very successful. Um, and Muslims are completely absent from the picture. I mean, Muslims are just... What, what do you say to, to, to Allah's discourse on Hezza? You know, it's Muslims who arrested a fellow Muslim to turn him over to the Chinese government so he can be eradicated and you can't get Muslims even interested. Um, 
No, there is a very serious problem in our relationship to Islam. I mean, uh, um, maybe the answer is converts. I don't know. Um, the second point that Joe raised was um, about prophecy, and that's a very big topic. But you know, there, there, we know we, we'll deal inshallah when we talk about Abbas and Watawalla, um, Surah Abbas. I I think that early on in the Islamic tradition, the idea of prophets as their moral merit comes from that they are awabun, they, they, they are people who are conscientious, who make mistakes, but um, are self-reflective and self-critical and conscientious enough to always come back. And we see this in Surah Saab. There emerged a, a, um, a, a, after the first three centuries, I think in Islam, a tendency that we see with people like Razi, very pronounced, for instance, of insisting that the prophets were infallible and com could not commit a sin. And I think that's unfortunate. I mean, on the other extreme is the biblical account of the prophets who are sinning left and right to the point that you wonder why are they prophets at all. And it becomes like a tribal thing. They, 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 they are chosen because they're Ezraelite regardless of how much evil they do. On the other extreme is this tendency to say, um, no, prophets are basically superhuman. And they were incapable of fault. Um, which contradicts and clashes with a lot of what the Quran says. And I think that the, the truth is in between. They were very much human, and uh, part of what we miss out is that they taught us how to be introspective, and how to be honest, and how to be self-critical, and how to hold yourself accountable for your own failures before anyone else. Uh, so, for instance, uh, so many people in in halakas and in azhar and so on, they learn all the narratives about how David might have sinned. I mean, the, the, the narratives about the, the woman and bathing and all that, although they'll, they'll say, oh, it's not a sin. Or Solomon. But they won't focus on the stories of Tawbah. I mean, the measures that David Dawood went through to repent, I believe repent for just a procedural injustice, is the lesson. And the, the extent to which uh, Sulaiman reclaimed himself um, and the narratives of this, this reclamation one of the, my favorite books in the Islamic tradition is a book called the Tawabun. 
which has stories of Tawbah in the Islamic tradition. And um, if I had my way, all Muslim children would be taught that, that book um, growing up so that they know what repentance means and what living in Allah's, what having that relationship with Allah means. Heard Kitab Tawabu, but the author. Who's the author of Kitab Tawabu? I don't remember. I think it's Ibn Qudama. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Anything else? Okay. Oh, Damn, I'm going to have a hard time wording this exactly because my mind is also. <laughs> um, one of the stories that came to mind was a sheikh that you and I um, knew and, and know um, that when, when he joined the Sufi Tariqah he thought his instruction from his sheikh was going to be to go and isolate in a cave and do dhikr until he dissolves into God um, and his instruction was the opposite. It was to go into Cairo, in a very populated place, and be with people and serve people. Mm -hmm. And it, it made me think of when I first was attracted to the idea of Sufism and of just dissolving into God. I, I had this idea that I'm almost like it, it was based in escapism that I, I could do it without interacting with people. And that came back to me today because all of these, um, a lot of these stories that we're discussing have to do with interactions with other people. And a lot of my self-deluding behavior is in feeling justified in behaving towards people in a certain way. So I guess my question is, because just as, I mean, when, it, when we get into the story of Iblis, the, at both, all, both times that we've talked about these, that story and these halakas, I feel like he feels totally justified in what he's doing. And it's also one where it's just, it's isolative. It's just him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's totally ignoring. And I feel, even though I can read that story and disprove of that story, I'm guilty of that same thing over and over again with other human beings. So do you have any advice for those of us that are trying to bring the Qur'an to life in our own lives of how do we identify that self-deluding behavior? How do we identify those delusions of, of self that convince us to isolate or convince us that there is a path to God that doesn't involve every other human being that we come in contact with. Yeah, um, that, that's a big question. Um, is there a way to paraphrase? The, the question is um, this: the the Surah Sad. I mean, it, it in in many ways it is about the delusions of Izzah, Izzah that is false 
and is true and it invites you to reflect very deeply about what the type of Izza that you are pursuing and claiming and what Sharif is saying that um, that the, quite often when you want to pursue the path of God you think that that path is self-referential that it, it's all about you and so, for instance, that you might be tempted to say, I'm going to pursue God by isolating myself from people or by um, not serving people or not minding the way I deal with people because I'm all about God. And what he's describing is a phenomena that is quite common that especially novices, beginners, when they, when they want to pursue the path of God, they think that they can pursue the path of God by being, let's put it very bluntly, by being sweet on God, but cold versus, towards human beings. That I'm going to be with God, and so that means I don't care about people. And Shreve was saying that, and this is actually a really interesting point, it's, it were, it's worthy of going in a hashia, um, the marginalia, um, that shaitan's rebellion is marred in this individualism. He, he, he chooses to go, interestingly, a lot of uh, Satan worshippers admire the individuality of, of shaitan's rebellion and they, they, they think it's so wonderful that he is such an individual. Um, but it's true. It, 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 uh, when you are anchored in yourself and, but, and just yourself, um, so then the question is, do you have advice See, the, 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 the issue is Surat Sad is inviting you to, if all of us seek a form of Izza, you know, whether our Izza is, we convince ourselves that our Izza is to find our one and only love in life, or our izza is to go around uh, having as many relationships as possible. That's the conquest, conquest model. You know, how many bodies can I conquest, have sex with, in other words, bluntly, um, for some people. Others, their izza is their job and, you know, everything that identifies me is it's like when you meet certain people and this is actually irritates me um you know you meet a muslim in a completely social setting salamu alaikum i'm khalid abul fad salamu alaikum i am dr ismail 
Well, I am Dr. Khaled, but he's a medical doctor. You see this for medical doctors in particular. Why, why do I care you're a medical doctor when we're meeting, you know, over, I don't know, kebab and batikh and stuff like that? I don't care you're a doctor. It's irrelevant to the interaction. I'm not, I'm not going to your, to, tell me you're a doctor when, when I go to your clinic because I need medicine. Um, so all of us pursue a form of Reza. And, you know, sometimes some are, their Reza is to get good scores in video games. That's a Reza. Um, you know, to have, be popular with friends. That's a Reza. So it's to reflect on what form of Izda that in fact pursue, you, you are pursuing, i.e. what defines your sense of self-worth. Sharif is right that The, one of the, the reasons that a sheikh would, if you, if the, the person that Sharif is talking about, both of us know, and I'm confident that the reason that the sheikh told them don't go in isolation and go um, serve others and live among others is because he probably read his aura and saw that his ego needs that type of medicine. Some people, their ego, I would tell them, you need isolation. You're, 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 you're too embedded in, in defining yourself according to how people see you and how people, uh, uh, their, uh, people's opinion of, of you. Those people, I tell them to isolate. But there are people who really don't really care about what people think of them. Uh, for those people, I tell them, don't isolate. I tell them, go actually serve people because you are, you think that you can appease God or you can get close to God while alienating human beings. Uh, that's not true either. So the critical point, assuming that you don't have a teacher, the, the easy way is to have a good teacher who knows what they're doing and, and guides you. If you don't have a teacher, then to ask yourself the very hard question. Well, one, to read Surah Saad repeatedly. Uh, you know, it's one of these surahs that the more you read it, the more you're going to learn from it, the more the blessings, the barakah of it will come to you. But other than that, is to ask yourself, how do I define my self-worth? And if your self-worth If you are not sure how your self-worth integrates divinity, Allah's presence, then you have a problem and you need to rethink your self-worth. It is not easy for us to see how our self-worth can be anchored in Allah. It is easy to see it dogmatically. But it's not easy when you're alone, not when you're talking to people, not when you're giving a lecture, not when you're teaching a class, 
not when you're with friends, not when you're with, but alone, to see how your self-worth is really anchored in Allah. Between you and Allah in a moment of truth. But if you insist that I will not allow myself to, um, I will not get myself off the hook. I will not give myself a pass. Um, until I understand the way that Allah is truly a companion and Allah is truly the Izza that I seek, it, you will get there. I mean, it, it takes determination and diligence, but you will get there. It's it just unfortunately a lot of people try it for a little bit and then they give up and they move on. And that's why a teacher is useful because a teacher, um, it's not so easy to, to, to let yourself off the hook if you have to answer to someone. But if you don't have a teacher, um, then it's determination and diligence and that question of what is your Izzah? What is your Izzah? Where does it come from? And do you have Izzah? Or are you a thoroughly discombobulated human being who lives from one confusion to another and has, like a lot of people, have become addicted to confusion. Um, if they're not confused, they don't know who they are. Uh, and, and that's a special type of ailment. Um, for young people, for young people, often they think that I will achieve my self-worth only if I can find the right partner in life. That's a mirage. Um, talk to married people. They'll, they'll tell you, no, that, that's not how your self-worth is. You might think it is. But once you get there, you realize it's not. For your older people, people who are actually married um, and has reached that, got to that shore and got to see what the shore really has, um, they'll often escape to career and things like that. My biggest warning to especially young people is don't think that your Izza rests in mommy or daddy or you know the, the, the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams or uh, these are all false heralds. Um, so many young people anchor their sense of pride, their sense of worth in, you know, my mother and my father and um, you know I. And, and don't be also, at the same time, don't be harsh on yourself. I mean, you, don't, you can't expect someone who's 20 years old or 21 years old to know what their Izza is. They, they're, they're just beginning on, on, on the path. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have a lot of 
false before they get anywhere. But the important thing is to understand the message. And as long as you are hearing Allah's voice, you're at least on the right path. That, that's why, I, I mean, it, it's remarkable. I think there's nothing more important than the lessons that the Quran teaches. And look at the surahs that we covered. Look at each lesson. It speaks for itself. But we live in a, in a very bizarre age where the audience yeah, it's very small. Um, that speaks volumes. It, I mean, I was wondering if you could uh, just re-explain what. Uh, Sayyidina Suleyman's, how he um, like embodied some of the, what does that mean exactly? Embodied what? Some of the, uh, I, oh, was, some I was of unclear you. on that. Yeah. You just that. Uh, no, um, um, Rami's question is how did um, Sayyidina Suleyman embody some of the, uh, the not embody Samadhiya, but that his Izza was contingent on the Samad, on the Samad. Um, because he was, his, he was, his glory that Allah gave him was anchored in Kharq al-Ayl, in, in the magical, in the exceptional. Um, in direct empowerment from God so that he has armies of jinn uh, doing his bidding and as far as I know not even magicians have ever been able to deal with jinn that are of the diving type the hawas the, the, the ones who inhabit the waters um, and he had jinn muqarranina fil asfad, jinn who are actually rebellious jinn who he could imprison and shackle. This was so his his the divine involvement in his in his glory was through and through. It um and so, put it, where, where did his power come from? It, his power came from the most stable and constant source, the Samad. That was the sole power, that was the sole source of his power. It, it was, it was not justice, it was not reason, it was not wealth, it was an actual direct involvement from Osama, the, the most stable source of power, and that's why Jin couldn't rebel against him. I mean, as much as if, 
we have a lot of these narratives about Jin, the, the minute that we, they realized that the prophets of Laiman have died, uh, they were in full rebellion. Um, that type of power is truly exceptional and it will not be repeated. So um, in the beginning you noted the connection between Saad and Qaf um, and one thing that really stuck out to me while reading Saad is um, the word Awab um, you know as uh, Joe mentioned so, so in, in Surah Qaf you know, the, it says right? And we talked about how this surah is all about irtiqa. Mm -hmm. um, and then I feel like Saad is sh like adding like another gloss to what the path of irtiqa involves because it mentions the prophets and it's all about how they have a fitna. Mm -hmm. And how they overcome their fitna by being a web, mm -hmm. and that is part of their irtiqa. Right. Right. Um, that's an excellent point. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I just was hoping if you could. No, but th that's that's interesting. what Rami's saying is that in, in Surah Qaf, the 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 promise of irtiqa is is hinged on those who have that that characteristic of being a web constantly returning to Allah and constantly repenting and then Surah Saad which I said has an umbilical relationship with Surah Qaf um, it, at, so, at so many levels but that so many of of the narratives of Izza are are hinged on this this process of awba that that you are constantly coming back even every time you fall you come back to allah and that uh, rami is saying that it's as if surah sad provides a further addition to the path of urtqa by <coughs> by teaching you the the role of awba um in in achieving a taqa, and I completely agree, it is absolutely right. Taqa is elevation. Elevation, yeah. The 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 surah qaf is all is anchor. It's all about the taqa, the elevation, um, from the base self to to higher levels. Um, the the other, you know, what's um, what's interesting is. Al-Tariq and Al-Qamar, two surahs that, um, that intervened between Qaf and Saad, or likely that they intervened. I mean, some say it was just the Qamar, but even if we say, no, it's Tariq and Al-Qamar. Inshallah, we'll get to them, but both of these surahs, they... Anchor the idea 
that life has to be about a moral objective. It is what Surah Sa'd comes and says explicitly that do you think we created this in vanity? That if if you don't understand that if you don't believe in accountability and you don't believe that there is a moral objective, a, a moral plan that is that you're lost people effectively. So in what's fascinating is that even the the, the sort of that are reve are revealed between Kaf and Saad are like further further. Um, reinforcing the bridge between these two surahs. And I completely agree the, the, the bridge to, to say that if the path of Urtuqat has basic rules, full conscientiousness of the divine as your companion, closer to you than your juggler vein, and never resting with the idea that I've got there and I'm safe and I'm done. Because even people who are been blessed to the extent that Dawood and Sulaiman have been blessed, they still could falter and they still need Elba. So how about us? Who, who have not been given the type of exceptional blessings that they've been given. Um, another thing that is really, that's why I think it's not an accident that both Surah Qaf and Saad, um, especially among Sufi tariqahs that are legitimate Sufi tariqahs, you know, um, uh, the, the, a lot, they, they feature in the awrad of so many Sufi tariqahs very prominently. Where, you know, a part of your word is to read Surat Qaf three times and then read Surat Saad three times. That's very, very common in the awrad of Sufi. Um, and although, you know, when because I've gone through the experience where you, you, you ask, okay, explain to me why Surah Kafir, why Surah Saad, and the, often uh, the people, at least that I talked to, couldn't explain why. But something was retained from the collective memory of Muslims. Because the, I was told, well, that's the way the Artariqa has been doing it for the past thousand years. And they, they couldn't explain why. But now I understand why. It, it, because that that's sort of part of the inherited legacy. The reason, the rationale, was forgotten, but the practice was preserved. Uh, very interesting. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Anybody, any takers right here? Okay. So... All right, so I'll take one from the interactive group. Thank you, Jazakallah khair, for an outstanding, powerful halakha. Uh, I wanted to ask about Ayah 35 and why Suleiman, um, alayhi salam, asked that the power given to him should be such mm. as none other after him would have liked it. 
Um, is this because he recognized in his wisdom the immense challenge within such power and such a test and it may become a force of evil in anyone else's hands? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, okay, so f first, I, in, in the biblical account, um, when Solomon, when he asks for that type of power, he is clearly asking it on behalf of his tribal affiliation, the, the Israelites. And it, um, it sounds like um, um, to be put it bluntly, it sounds like basically saying to God, um, show me that we are the chosen people Give me a power that no one else possesses because we are the chosen people, so we may dominate all else. Um, in the Quran, the, 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 although the request is repeated, but the commentary that you get about why that request is, is very, very different. That in the and and some some of them uh, you know are cite um, hadith attributed to the Prophet although a lot of these hadiths are marfua or have other problems within them but anyway the, the so the theological discussion about this is that after having after having gone through this period of crisis was where he felt the weight of authority as a king oppressing him, in fact suffocating his soul and uh, despairing in his ability to do good and despairing in his ability to do justice like his father Dawood. Because Dawood was known for his meticulous standards of justice in the Islamic outlook. And that Dawood uh, was a level of, I mean, the irony that we now think of Suleiman al-Hakim as the, the Suleiman the Wise. But for Suleiman, according to these narratives, is that they, he thought I, I could never reach the level of wisdom of my father and I could never leave the level of justice that my father achieved and I'm given this heavy responsibility and I can't handle it and he drifts away from um, from his sense of self-worth his izzah yeah uh, until he becomes like a, a corpse on the throne. But because he is Abd Awab, he starts scrutinizing himself. And once he reclaims himself, he vows repentance by asking Allah 
for power so that he can achieve justice unseen in the world before him. And so in the Quranic outlook, in the Islamic outlook, Sulaiman asks for that so that he can match and exceed the amount of justice achieved by his father Dawood as repentance for his self-doubts and his crumbling under the weight of the authority or, or the responsibility. And Allah answers his prayer and says, but you, but this is a very heavy responsibility. Are you sure that you, the, 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 we have these reports that, uh, from Hadith, that basically the, the, these narratives that, you know, the, the, the angels tell Sulaiman, you know, are you sure you want this amount of authority and responsibility? And Sulaiman says, no, I'm, I'm going to rise to a challenge. And he does achieve, because he uses the jinn to achieve an unprecedented amount of justice. We will, inshallah, when we talk about the story of Sulaiman and uh, the Queen of Yemen, we will revisit this and I will tell you a lot more about, because this is now after he's been given this power and um, he's giving effect to it in the world. So, although it's not power that other people, but you can literally insert allow me to achieve a justice that I know no one will have the type of power to achieve that level of justice before. And that is why in, in if you're growing up, the first thing you learn about Sulaiman is, in the Islamic tradition, is that he was the prophet of absolute justice. Sulaiman al-Hakim, Sulaiman the Wise, the prophet of justice. That's the backstory to that. Okay, alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for this incredible halakha. I mean, I was going to say it's gold, but it's priceless. It's much better than gold. Um, and inshallah, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, what is our surah for Tuesday? Do you know? Oh, I, I don't know yet, but I will announce it, inshallah tomorrow. Okay, sounds great. So I'll, I can email people. So thank you so much and inshallah, I hope to see you on Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Thank you.